right and we're rolling happy thanksgiving happy thanksgiving i mean this comes out two days before thanksgiving but if you're listening to this on thanksgiving on your commute to family if you're clear of covid thanks for listening and i hope you have a great turkey day or mashed potato day if you don't eat turkey yeah Definitely. I don't like turkey, so... What? I love turkey. I hate turkey, so I just eat the stuffing and the green bean casserole and the mac and cheese and that. Oh, man. I can't stand green bean casserole. (laughs) I also just, like, really hate cream of mushroom soup. Okay. Well, I can agree on the cream of mushroom soup, but with the green bean casserole, you are wrong. I think I'm just too scared to try it. See, I was too. I hadn't tried it until, like, I think two years ago, and my mom made me try it. And it's delicious. Maybe I'll give it a whirl this year, but you I should. probably won't. Just, just one bite. And make sure you get the crispy onions in there. <laughs> I feel like that's the only part of it I would like. Actually, I like green beans. But anyway, off topic. <laughs> um, yeah, so happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, hopefully everybody is safe and not going to see their family if they've been exposed to COVID. We just... Uh, and wearing masks yeah. and socially distancing and just... Just being being responsible. Good sports. That's what we need right now. That so. is what we need because I'm sick of this. Yeah, we all are. So thanks for stepping up, everyone. Yeah. And if you're not, fuck you. Turn our podcast <laughs> off right now. You're not welcome here. So um, I don't have anything special to report yet again for like probably the fifth week in a row. I don't either. Other than we're still getting excited about your guys' listener episode. So just... <sighs> Keep sending them in. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. All right. So I have a big, fat, juicy story for you this week. I have been assigned a murder per Taylor. And I chose to do a a murder based out of Lansing. Because for those of you who don't know, I lived in Lansing for five years. And I love Lansing. And if my job wasn't invented, I would probably still be in Lansing. Um, so this one goes out to all my homies in Lansing. And I'm sorry for what's about to come. <laughs> so I'm doing the murder of Rose Larner. I've never heard of that one. It's there's a lot coming at you. It's gonna excited. be a slow burn though. So, Rose was somewhat of, like, a troubled teen. She was rebellious and moody. Her family called her the vampire because she was known to sleep all day and get up whenever she wanted to go roam about the town wherever she pleased with whoever she pleased. Um, oh, and I want to preface, uh, this takes place in South Lansing, and the way that Lansing is kind of broken up is, like, There's East Lansing, which is a separate city, which is where MSU is. Mm -hmm. And then there's Lansing, which is kind of broken into, like, sub-cities. So there's South Lansing, which kind of has a reputation for being poorer. And then there's the east side of Lansing, not East Lansing, but the side closest to East Lansing, which is kind of richer and nicer. And then there's West Lansing, um, which is you know just like a normal town right um and north lansing but i don't it's kind of like barren up there lansing is huge lansing is huge so i've lived in both east the east side of lansing and south lansing um technically i lived in holt but 
I know every street and every establishment that I'm about to tell you in the story. So it's really that makes it crazy. Creepier. Yeah. So now that we know that we're in South Lansing and it has a reputation for just kind of be- having more like crime and trouble, I guess. So anyway, <clears throat> Rose was mouthy and temperamental, but she was also bold and friendly. Her mom described her as like a headache and a half and if she were kidnapped for some reason the kidnappers would t- pay her to take her back <laughs> that is what my mom always said about me too I, yeah. I get it i was also like just a brat of a teenager so yeah, me yeah. Too. so rose was diagnosed in her early teens as hyperactive it was normal for her to take three showers a day and talk on the phone all throughout the night She was always doing something, talking to someone, or going to hang out with friends. She may have been a pain in the butt to some people, but it was clear to those that knew her that she had a big heart and she just needed extra attention. So, despite her fiery reputation, uh, she was a dedicated member to her church, uh, and she attended church regularly twice a week. Her dad recalled in the Lansing State Journal article that... She always had her Bible, and she always knew her memory verse when she was little. When I said, who's going to help me set the table, Rose was the first one up off the couch. So when Rose was eight uh, in 1983, she saw a group of boys walking across the street from her house. And she was rambunctious from the moment she stepped into the world Mm -hmm. so she saw them and she picked up a rock and she threw it at them (laughs) so the boys started throwing stones back at her and her brothers came out after seeing you know like there was a rock fight happening which (laughs) does not sound very fun um and they kind of like had this battle like these siblings versus these siblings So once their friendly game of chucking rocks at each other was over, they introduced themselves, and this is how Rose met her new best friend, Billy Brown. So the two of them hit it off instantly. They spent a lot of nights talking on the phone together, and when they weren't clogging up the phone lines, they would be out playing tag, digging tunnels in the ground, and running through Lansing Southern parks. Have you ever tried to dig a, a tunnel to, to China? <laughs> I absolutely have. Every time I went to the beach, I would try to dig a hole to China. That's exactly what I imagine these two doing. Just like trying to dig a tunnel to get the heck out of Lansing. <laughs> As an adult, I've wanted to do that. <laughs> so Rose even drew a heart in blue ink around Billy's school photo in her Gardner Middle School yearbook, which I thought was just so Aww. precious. I think in my middle school yearbook, I drew a heart around myself. <laughs> I was also. I was the kid that drew hearts around the people that I liked and the devil horns around the people that I didn't oh like. Oh my god. I think I was the weirdo that like drew X's on people. <laughs> but I drew hearts around myself and my friends. And probably a lot of cute boys. Well, fourth grade cute, you know. Just like I was smitten. My brother found my yearbook and made fun of me. Oh my god, that's so So funny. I never did it again. <laughs> So, over the years, Billy would become a loving protector of Rose, just kind of, like, backing her up in any scraps that she found herself in and just, like, being there for her, a good supportive friend. 
So there was one particular scrap involving Rose threatening to stab a girl with a fork at a house party that she was hosting while her mom was away for the weekend. And obviously word got back to her mother and this landed her at Rivendell Psychiatric Hospital in St. John's. Aww. So while Rose was troubled and rowdy as most teenagers are um her mom was just like really fed up with her behavior so she exaggerated her daughter's issues to gain admittance to the institution so she just kind of was like playing it up and like she needs help blah 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 so her mom uh whose name is also rose um but her last name is mark um which is how I'm going to refer to her for the rest of the um, story today so we don't get the roses confused. Um, Marky hoped that this would help tame Rose and hopefully restore some peace to their household. So Rose was in the psychiatric hospital for three months before she was let out. Oh, that's a really long that stay. That is a long time. Um, but during her stay, she made a lot of friends, and she met a boy that she liked named Brady. And she was so smitten with him that she burned the letter B into her thigh with oh an eraser. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Maybe she did have some some stuff going on. I, I never burned anybody. <laughs> she was going through it. She was. She was in love. So when her three months was up and it was time for her to leave, uh, her mom said that she cried because she felt safe there. And when Rose got home, she started lashing out again. Her mom made her get a job. She ended up getting one at KFC. Uh, But it didn't last long, and her attitude was worse than ever. And her mom kind of speculated that she was trying to get sent back to the hospital. Because that's where her boyfriend was. Yeah, and and her friends, and she felt safe there. Um, But it was... (laughs) I think that was in the closet. Oh. I need to clean those up. (laughs) It's a lot of bubbly cans. (laughs) So where was I? Um, So, yeah, it wasn't just her job that was and her family that were like having problems with her. She also got picked up by police for shoplifting and even got in trouble at school. So she was at this time she was going to Everett High School. She got in trouble for bringing alcohol to class. Yikes. Yeah, that's like a really big bold move i never did that but i know kids in high school that did and they all I got feel like suspended yeah i feel like i knew people who did i was the kid that was like hotboxing my car with a bong before school which is probably <laughs> just as bad <laughs> but at least i wasn't bringing anything into school right so in march 1991 rose was 15 and she enrolled into sexton high school And everyone was hopeful that she would take it as, like, a fresh start. But it didn't go so well. And the following fall, the following fall, she was back at Everett and she was reunited with her friends. So there was one evening where Rose and her friend Ginger Bailey were out shooting hoops at Maple Grove. And this is either an elementary school or the church located on... MLK Boulevard. Uh, It didn't specify, and I tried to look it up, and that's what I got. But anyway, um, the two of them were out shooting hoops, and a man approached them. And Rose, 
struck up a conversation with him. Like I said, she was fearless and bold, and she would talk to literally anyone who would listen, including a strange, grown adult man. Same. (laughs) So uh, the conversation went on for so long that Ginger ended up leaving and just walking home without Rose. But a few hours later, Rose showed back up on Ginger's doorstep crying and saying that the man had raped her. I know. So the Bailey family, Ginger's parents, called the police and they filed a report and the police took Rose home to her mom. So in December of that year, Rose was now 16. Um, She dropped out of high school. She was just going through it. It was like she couldn't catch a break. Trouble followed her. And obviously she didn't handle all of that too well. Right. So she ended up enrolling in the Harry Hill Center for Academics and Technology, but she dropped out the same month. And ever since Rose was young, she was inspired by her uncle Tim, who was a police officer in Wisconsin. She dreamed of being a police officer just like him when she got older, but school wasn't really working out for her, and she needed to get her diploma or GED to qualify to be a police officer. So she ended up signing up for the Army, hoping that would, like, take her a step in the right direction to join the police academy. Sure. So... While she was waiting to hear back from the Army, she decided to pick back up on furthering her education. Uh, she moved to Grand Rapids for a few months to get out on her own and to get her GED. So in June of 1993, Rose finished her studies and got her degree just as her friends back home at Everett were graduating. So she ended up moving back home to her mom's house in South Lansing, and it was like same old Rose had came back. Being away did not change her. She immediately started pushing her mother's boundaries. <laughs> so Marky ended up setting a 1 a.m. curfew and got a pager for Rose and her brothers to keep in touch. Marky demanded that they all must check in by 1 a.m. every night uh, because Marky would be out working her night shift at the Quality Dairy on MLK and Miller Road. And for those of you who don't know, Quality Dairy is a convenience store uh but it's like great they have they make their own ice cream and donuts and like eggnog and stuff um quality dairy is lit and a lot of them are open 24 hours some of them are gas stations i'm here for that yes great donuts great cider oh my god they make cider too dude bring me some do they have everything i'm gonna have to next time i go out to lansing please do (sighs) okay so uh this was the summer that Rose met John Ortiz Kehoe, who was a local rapper and friend of Billy Brown. So Rose and John instantly liked each other and began to date. And Rose's brother stated that Rose talked about him like he was a god and that she was so smitten with him that she even talked about becoming a rapper, too, so that they could make music together. (laughs) Get that SoundCloud going. (laughs) Right. It's so romantic. Young love. (laughs) Um, Rose, John, and Billy spent most of their time together um, throughout the whole summer, and they usually hung out at Billy's parents' house. She seemed like she was finally really happy for once, but in September, she heard back from the Army, 
They had turned her away, not only for her stay at Rivendell, but because she branded that beat into her leg with the eraser while she was staying there. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, uh, the thought of burning anything. <laughs> yeah. Into my Uncomfortable. Skin. But also the fact that that keeps you from getting into the army. That's, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's insane. But I mean, it's the same thing with like tattoos and shit. I don't know much about the army, I guess. I, th- I, I looked into wasn't it. sure if you could like have tattoos so you apparently can't have eraser burns i had a cousin either who was like in the army and she had to get a tattoo like that was behind her ears like her zodiac sign uh-huh she had to get it like lasered off <gasps> to go into the army oh my god she's a badass though she's like super high ranked in the army or the military i don't know hey, what branch she's in good for her right what up brianna hey brianna <laughs> so rose was upset but it seemed like she got over it fairly quickly and just, like, dropped it because, like, she was in a new relationship. She was young. She was like, whatever, fuck it. I'm going to be a rapper. <laughs> I'm here for that. Support your mans. Right. So come October, Rose is now 18. She asks her mom if John can move in with them. She said he's really nice and he needs a place to stay while he makes his rap album. So, Marky agreed, but... <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. He needs a place to make his rap album. <laughs> Come on, Mom. So, yeah. Marky agreed, but the arrangement didn't last very long when she realized that John was bringing guns into the house. Oh, and he was also leaving large amounts of money out on the table. Can you say drug dealer? <laughs> so... <laughs> After Marky kicked him out, John began to distance himself from Rose, which made her really upset because she really cared about him. So he ended up breaking up with her, and, like, he was like, I don't really like you anymore. Like, I need space, and she wouldn't leave him alone. Like, she was in love, and, like, when you're that young, it's, I mean, I get it. It's hard to get over your first romance, um, and you kind of get obsessed with him and your heart's broken but he was like leave me the fuck alone or i will kill you yeah and she didn't so she was confused and one day uh in early december at a party at a msu co-op called the monty house rose intentionally hit john's brother's truck with her van oh sister that ain't gonna get him back i will never ever Look that desperate for a man. I'm telling you right now. I hope Sam heard she that. She was young, you know, like she like she was young and she had this like erratic personality, you know. It it makes sense why right. in her like if I'm thinking about why she did that, I I can see why she I mean, did she's it. She's definitely an extrovert it sounds like, so Well, she's a Leo. So, oh, yeah. Her sure. birthday is August 19th. So, after she hit John's brother's truck, um, Billy calmed her down and took her home back to South Lansing. A few days later, on Monday, December 6, 1993, Rose clocked out of her job at the Meyer Pizzeria at 11.30 p.m. She headed home to find her brother asleep on the couch, and he recalled her waking him up tossing him a hat that she had bought for him that evening before leaving work. He said, thank you, and they exchanged I love yous before he watched her go over to the phone. 
He said that he never knew who she was talking to that evening, but she sounded upset like she was having an argument with someone. But she hung up after a little while and walked towards the door, told him that she loved him again, and then she shut the door behind her and left. She walked a quarter mile west in the cold winter weather along Miller Road to the Quality Dairy convenience store where her mom worked. She arrived a little after 1 a.m., like around 1.20, to check in with her mom before spending the night out with her friends. So her mom didn't... So they had set this, like, 1 a.m. curfew, but her mom didn't tell her, no, you can't go. She just said, I don't want you taking the van out because it needs oil. But then Rose was like, no, I'm walking. And I think her mom just kind of realized, like, I can't stop her because, like, I'm at work, you know? So she was like, okay, no, don't walk. I'll put some oil in the van and take the van, you know, so you can be safe. But Rose insisted on walking anyway. So Marky told Rose that she loved her and Rose said she loved her too. And then she walked out of the quality dairy. At 7 a.m. the next morning, Marky arrived home after her shift and, you know, went and did rounds checking on her kids. Both of her sons were there, but Rose wasn't there, which was alarming because normally if Rose was going to stay out for the whole night, she would like let her mom know. And while she did say that she was going to, like, have a night with her friends, she didn't say that she was going to stay out all night and not come home. So, Marky finished getting ready to head out for her next shift at her second job, but decided to stop back at the Quality Dairy on her way uh, to work to ask her coworkers to keep an eye out for Rose and let her know if they see her because she wasn't home that morning and hadn't checked in, which was out of character for her. Marky went to work with, like, just a sinking gut feeling, and by 8 a.m. the next morning, like, a full 24 hours later, when Rose still hadn't shown up, she called Rose's dad to ask if he had seen her, but he hadn't, and they kind of were just like, oh, fuck, Rose is missing, missing. Yeah. So over the next two days, Rose's parents waited for any sign from her, but she never dropped in, never called, never beeped the pager. Did they file a missing persons report? Yes. Okay. So before they did that, though, Marky called Rose's friends to see if they had any idea on where she was or, uh, you know, ask where they last saw her. One of the friends told Marky that Billy was missing, too, and it was likely that they were together. So Marky called the Browns. Billy's parents um but Billy wasn't there so his mom said that she would check in with him when she saw him on Thursday because he was gone on a trip with a friend okay um at this point they're not sure if that friend is Rosie or who so in the meantime um she called Rose's work at the Meyer Pizzeria but They said that she missed her Tuesday shift and hadn't called to let them know that she wasn't coming in. And while Rose didn't have that great of a track record with her other jobs, this, like, Meyer Pizzeria job was, like, steadier. Like, she was getting her shit together. Okay. Um, So it was, like, a little bit more of a red flag that she was just, like, not showing up and didn't call. Right. So then finally, 
Mrs. Brown um, called Marky back to let her know that Rose wasn't with Billy and he hadn't heard from her either. So the friend that he was out with wasn't wasn't Rose. Marky said that Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Marky and one of her sons, Jamie, went to the Lansing Police Department to file a missing persons report after um, Mrs. Brown confirmed that Rose wasn't there. And then they headed over to Benjamin Davis Park to look for Rose. This is kind of when Marky said that she knew she wasn't looking for her daughter anymore and she was looking for a body. That's so sad. I know. So that night she went home and put together a missing persons poster for her daughter and she said that looking at it, she knew that she'd never see her daughter alive again. So the next day was Friday, which meant it was payday for Rose. And usually Friday was the only day of the week that the Larner vampire would wake up earlier than noon and be up and out the door to catch a bus to catch her, cash her check by 8 a.m. So, Marky got up at 8 a.m. and did exactly what she thought Rose might have done, but when she reached the Meyer Pizzeria, Rose's check for $128 was still there. So now, well, not now, but, like, Marky freaks out and she goes straight over to Kinko's Copies on Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm only saying that because I know where it is. (laughs) And printed out 50 posters that... 50 of the posters that she had put together the night before. And the staff was nice enough to just, like, let her take it all for free. You good? <laughs> Dog is having a moment. So, over the weekend, Marky had no choice but to keep working, but found herself breaking down, unable to do her jobs properly. She decided that she had waited long enough, so on Monday, December 13th, she contacted Lansing Police Detective John Cotty. She knew that the Lansing Police Department wasn't unfamiliar with Rose, and she was kind of scared that they would brush it off as a runaway, as, like, unfortunately, most officers do in missing persons cases, because, I mean, now she was 18, she had, like free will she was known to just roam about anyway but Cotty heard the panic in her voice and he said quote mothers know and my gut told me something so the two of them retraced all of Marky's steps uh, again calling all of Rose's friends everyone said that they hadn't heard from Rose since the 7th which was a huge red flag because uh, Rose spent most of her time, most of her free time, calling anyone who would listen. And um, Marky had said that Rose spent so much time on the phone that she regularly racked up a $300 phone bill every month. Whoa. And this is back in, like, the 90s. Right. So you didn't have unlimited yeah. texting calls. Right. Uh, so... Some of her friends said that she was with Billy, but when they called the Browns again, Billy's mother said that Billy wa- had been away with John, not Rose. So, As in Rose's ex-boyfriend? Yes. Okay. But Rose met John through Billy because mm. they were friends first, and then, yeah, and then they started dating. Gotcha. So on December 20th, Cotty led the first of 50 searches for Rose. 
The searches took them from Benjamin Davis Park, where um, her mom and brother had originally searched for her, all the way into the sky in helicopters searching all of East Lansing. So while searching Moffat Park, which was a park that teens were known to gather at, Cotty found a message next to a drawing of a black rose. Um, and the message was written in Rose's handwriting, and it said, John is a whore. Oh. Yeah. So, clearly, some anger revolving that situation, which was already clear, I guess. But now she thinks John's a whore. So, every other search came up empty-handed, um, which you know, kind of forced the police to turn to Lansing residents, asking them to come forward if they knew anything on the whereabouts of Rose. This is when tips began to pour in. And there's always those fake tips where people are just fucking with you. You know, like some people called in saying that she was dead in the river. Some people called to say that she had been beaten to death with a baseball bat. That is such a dick move. And if I find out that anyone who listens to this podcast does that. I know. I will literally hunt you down and stab you with a spoon. Oh my God. It's literally so It's so evil. cruel. Yeah, it's not. Well, I just don't understand why anyone would like fuck with people's emotions like that especially a grieving mother who is trying to find her fucking daughter yeah fuck you so despite all of these like wishy-washy tips over a hundred tips came in all saying the same thing that rose had been with john and billy that night no surprise there no (laughs) i'm really not surprised no i don't think anyone's surprised but according to all the tipsters it was like kind of hearsay no one had actually seen her with the boys but word was getting around quickly and everyone had the same thing to say which was that she was with the two of them so cotty called billy to inquire again and this time after their conversation cotty reported quote i talked to him enough times to know i was talking to someone who was somehow involved end quote but Cotty didn't have any evidence to go off of so the trail kind of went a little bit cold like they couldn't really do anything else right the holidays came and went and there was no sign of rose and Marky hoped that come springtime when everything began to thaw and melt that they'd find a body which is such a devastating sentence that's such a just a dark awful awful thing yeah to i mean, hope for like right yeah because like she knew that like if rose was out there there's no way that she wouldn't have called yeah or like shown up for christmas so the fact that she's hoping that in spring when everything thaws they can find a body is so devastating and sad so come springtime in March and April of 1994, um, they they resumed searching for her. On May 26th, Cotty launched another search at a private gravel pit where a woman called to report that she was sure that Rose had been killed there and dumped into a lake after being hanged from an oak tree <gasps> on a gravel site. Don't know anything about this woman. Don't know why she thinks that. Uh, but they took it really seriously 
and they rounded up a whole search crew, including one of the only dogs in Michigan trained to smell body gases from people submerged in water. So they were out on the lake. They were searching. There were divers out there just kind of trucking along. And then they reached a point where the dog began to howl. So the divers went in and they tried to search, but unfortunately the water was just way too mucky and there was too much trash and debris on the bottom of the lake that it made the search virtually impossible. I know. One of the divers reported that he really believed that Rose was down there, but there was just no way they would be able to see her. So across the way on a cement drain, the initials RL had been spray painted, and they even found a shirt similar to something that Rose might have worn. Um, But this was the only thing that they found, and they couldn't really link the shirt to Rose. So again, it was another dead end. So months were passing, and no body is found. So South Lansing residents and police officers began to poke at Cody, saying he'll never find the body. So this was kind of weird. Um, in one conversation with Billy towards like the end, um, Billy told Cody that him and John had written a rap song about his failure to find Rose. And some of the lyrics included... Cody is naughty, but other lyrics spoke about blood and body parts. I'm not sure why Billy told him this. I'm not sure why this wasn't enough for them to get fucking detained. Uh, but I mean, like, that's so like there's no, a t- that's that's awful and it's insensitive whether you did it or not. Yeah, but and they're the top two suspects, yeah. you know, or like people of interest i don't know it's just like but really i mean weird. rap lyrics in a song aren't evidence necessarily i know rap about man that just really really grinds my gears i feel that so um Cody actually ended up retiring in 1995 <coughs> sorry so in august of 1995 the case was given to two different detectives Lucius Hayward and John Herzman. These two detectives decided to go about solving the case in a different way by looking outside of South Lansing. They set their sights on the Monty House on MAC Ave in East Lansing, which is the house where Rose had hit John's brother's truck with her van um, years before when John had broken up with her. They speculated that Rose may have been killed there. So they got a warrant and they ripped up some of the flooring where they thought Rose's body might be, but they didn't find anything. So these two, there wasn't a lot on these two. This is pretty much the only thing that I could find on them. Um, They didn't last long on the case uh, because there was a Michigan State police detective, um, Donald Brooks, who had a rekindled interest in the case when he got a confidential tip that informed him of Rose and John's breakup. Um, so when he learned about this, he was just kind of like, he just took it upon himself to like dive in and like, you know, round up like a crew again to like go back in it. 
And he ended up taking over the case from the other two guys. Good for him. Yeah. Take charge. So for the third time, we're back at square one with a new detective. But this time, the detective had fresh eyes, and he had a big speculation. He knew that Rose had been murdered, and someone or a group of people were covering it up. So Brooks had been informed by this confidential person that um, Rose couldn't leave John alone after he had broken up with her and that John had demanded that she leave him alone multiple times and started to threaten her if she didn't comply. So somehow Brooks had tracked down a man that said he picked up these two young men from a bus station Um, And he had some other crucial information, but the article that I got that from didn't really detail what that was. But this kind of, like, snowballed uh, the situation into, like, or the case. Um, It's, I don't know how to word this. So, like, after he talked to this guy and after he, like, found out this tip, he, he just, like, got into it. Um, and I think even he got the FBI to take an interest in the case. So in April 1996, Brooks got a call from Billy, who probably after hearing that the FBI had taken an interest in the case, was starting to feel the heat, and it must have finally hit him. So he confessed everything he knew, which is really lucky. <laughs> like, he's the, he's the detective he just hopped on, and he's getting a confession. Hell yeah. So, this is the confession. Everybody take a deep breath because this shit is fucked up. Take a deep breath. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So, early morning on December 7th, Rose walked from the Pennsylvania. Oh, I'm sorry. Not Pennsylvania and Miller Road. The MLK. (laughs) The MLK and Miller Road Quality Dairy where her mom was working over to Billy Brown's house to hang out. So, as we said before, 1.20 a.m., Rose showed up at the QD where her mom was working and then headed out for the night, didn't come home the next day. So, according to Billy, she had gone over to his house. She knew that Billy and John were still close, but Billy said she should back off and leave John alone. John had been very clear that he no longer wanted anything to do with Rose and he wasn't into her. But Rose was a stubborn Leo, and she did not give up. So Billy gave in and called John and asked him to come hang out. So John ended up showing up, and around 3 a.m., the three of them left together, um, and they got into John's brother's truck. John drove them to a dark dirt road and parked the car. Billy reported that Rose laid her head on his lap while John started having sex with her. Mm. Yeah. So after they were done having sex, um, John started up the truck and drove them 50 miles south to a mire near Albion. Albion. Have you ever been there? Have you ever? I've driven like through there because when I go to my dad's house, I like. I always see Albion on the... Albion. Okay, so... On the freeway. So, yeah. 
he takes them to a mire near Albion and he insists on going into the store alone and he was in there for about 30 minutes. When he came back, he placed the bags of the stuff that he had bought in the bed of the truck telling Rose and Billy that he got things for, quote, tonight's festivities. (laughs) Didn't miss a beat. So then John drove them a short distance to his grandparents' house where he entered through the back door and let the other two in after unlocking the front door. And his grandparents were away in Arizona for the winter, which is where they normally stayed every winter. So he knew that the house would be empty. So... Once John, uh, or excuse me, once inside, John and Rose started having sex again. And when they were done, John went to turn on the shower. John came back after a few minutes and invited both Rose and Billy to get in the shower with him. It wasn't clear if they had a threesome in the shower, um, if they were just showering, um or what but all three of them did get in the in the shower together and billy said that john had tried to hand him a fillet knife that he had preemptively placed on the ledge of the shower now i'm not sure what kind of shower this is i don't think it was a tub shower i think it was just kind of like a stall shower um and i'm not sure what rose was doing i'm sure she was preoccupied and you know, um, but she didn't see him hand Billy a knife and Billy just kind of looked at John and he was like, what? And so John just like put the knife back down where he had stashed it before. So then the three of them got out of the shower and got dressed. Rose started brushing her hair and John came back into the bathroom and slipped an electrical cord around her neck. She started giggling and just kind of thought that John was just being like kinky and playful, but she stopped laughing when he tightened the cord around her neck and started strangling her. Mm. Billy watched as John pulled harder on the cord and... It seemingly he he didn't do anything to stop him. He just asked, "Why are you killing her?" And John said, "Quote: The bitch has got to go, and that's what's going to happen." Yo, side note: I think this was an episode of Forensic Files. I'm sure it was. This is a big case because I remember, like, I didn't remember anything until you said that his grandparents were in Arizona and then they took a shower together because I remember seeing that in a Forensic Files episode and I feel like I remember something about her working at KFC. I am, like, pretty sure there's a Forensic Files episode. But I got most of my notes from the Lansing State Journal who did uh, an impeccable job of reporting on this case because anything else I found was just, like, a summary. Cool. But, yeah, all the deets. So, yeah, he said... The bitch has got to go, and that's what's going to happen. So when he was done strangling her, he dragged her body back to the shower where he sliced her throat open with the fillet knife. So then John turned back around and suggested that he and Billy take a break to do some cocaine, which was normal for them. They As you do. a lot, yeah. Um, but take a break to do some cocaine. What a, what a suggestion. 
<laughs> so Billy told John, I can tell this isn't your first time doing this, to which John replied, what do you think? It's just so fucked up. And yeah. Scary. <coughs> so Billy started throwing up because, like, his best friend is dead in the shower with her throat cut open. Yeah. And John's just laughing at him. So while Billy's throwing up, John turned the water back on in the shower to rinse Rose's blood away before he started dismembering her body. Ugh. Yeah. Nope. Billy said that John <coughs> took off her arms, feet, hands, and head, and at one point staked her foot, one of her feet, on the knife and held her head up like the Clash of Titans cover. Like by the hair. By by the hair, but like all like arm fully extended, like Ugh. like as if he was holding it like he defeated some monster in a battle for his life, you know? And like he was just like Ugh. Nobody can see what I'm doing, but I'm thrusting my fist into the air. <laughs> so that's fucked up and disgusting and really fucking disturbing. So I keep saying so. But I can't stop. After John was done dismembering Rose, he took her body parts to the basement where there was a fireplace. He started a fire and he burned everything that he had sawed off of Rose. And as her body turned to ashes, the doorbell back upstairs rang. Who do you think it is? Uh, I have no idea. It's John's friend, possibly his girlfriend, Sammy. Oh, good. Yeah. Joining the party. Just in time for all the fun. Just in time to burn Rose's head. So uh, Billy said that Sammy hung out for about an hour, but the whole time that she was there, she was unaware that Rose's torso was bleeding out in the shower around the corner. (gasps) She had no idea. Yeah. So... After Sammy left, like, nothing significant happens with Sammy. It's just really fucked up that they, like, stopped what they were doing, hung out with this girl, partied for a little bit, and then she just fucking left. Were they not, like... Well, I guess they were in the shower, so they were naked, but, like... No, they weren't bloody. Because, like, uh, Billy didn't do anything. I don't think he touched the body. I don't think he, like, helped dismember or carry any body parts. But, like, John was in his underwear doing all of it so i'm sure he like just threw some clothes on and right. like brushed up. some sweats and a t-shirt yeah so after sammy left the boys put what was left of rose's body in a trash can cleaned up grabbed some shovels some gasoline some trash bags and headed out to billy's family's secluded property on island lake in meredith which is a retirement community and this is where they plan to burn the rest of her body. I'm not sure why they didn't just finish the job there because they were already burning her. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm sure it's probably the cocaine. They were <laughs> like, we got to get the fuck out of here. So, yeah, they, they drove over there to Billy's family's secluded property. So, by the time they got there, the sun was starting to come up, and they were kind of, like, racing the clock. They dug a hole really quickly in the ground, filled it with logs, soaked it with gasoline, and burned Rose's torso. This is the part that turns my fucking stomach, like, if anything else. This part is so, just, like, wildly fucked up. So, the two of them 
we're standing around the fire, you know, keeping a watch, making sure no one was looking, blah, 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 while Rose's body burned. John went somewhere. I don't know if he went into the house or if to his car, but he came back and he had a piece of bread with mustard on it. He pulled a chunk of Rose's burning body from the fire, put it on the bread, and ate it like a sandwich. Mm, no. And, like, the fact that he was, like, looking at the fire, thinking, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm gonna mm. fucking eat a chunk of her. Let me go get some bread and mustard really quick and eat it like a sandwich. Like, I think that's more fucked up than this. just taking a chunk of her and, like, trying it out. It's, no, seriously. And, ugh. I I can just, like, picture someone eating it with a fucking smile on their face. Like, with a shit-eating grin. Yeah, because he turned to Billy and he said, just for the experience, just to know. How fucking fucked up. If I was Billy, I seriously probably would have just looked at him with giant doe eyes and my mouth wide open, like, what? fuck i mean i feel like and billy says this later he felt like he needed to just comply otherwise he was, he would be in rose's yeah, position next exa- yeah exactly so yeah that just like i'm not okay about that Whew. so billy said that her body burned for 10 hours And after the fire went out, they shoveled her ashes into garbage bags and put them in the bed of the truck, and they left. The boys set out to drive to John's brother Tim's house in Big Rapids. And along the way, they dumped some of Rose's ashes out of the window of the car as they drove on the expressway. And then they put the rest in a dumpster somewhere along the trip. I've probably driven along that expressway. Dude, me too. (laughs) Actually, I hope not. I don't know. I probably have. (laughs) So when they arrived at Tim's, he asked the two what they had done with Rose. But John just smiled at him. So Tim said he didn't want to know. He just smiled. Tim was like, never mind. What the fuck? So the three of them sat down to talk about an alibi and they agreed that if they were questioned, they were all on the same page that John and Billy had just been at Tim's that night. So John and Billy ended up staying there for two more days before Tim drove them to a bus station in Grand Rapids where they bought Greyhound tickets and boarded a bus for Florida. I couldn't find anything about how long they were there um but like they were at least back a couple of weeks later for christmas with their families i thought it was kind of a weird turn in the story right um it's random and it doesn't make sense like if they're trying to flee like flee don't come back for the holidays right and like with like the timeline with like billy's mom checking in with him like she never said that he was in florida she did say he was on a trip but like yeah i don't know it's it's unclear how long they were gone for i i couldn't find that so anyway that was billy's confession 
So we're going to come back to April 14th, 1996, uh, three years after Rose's death. Um, clearly, with this confession, warrants were put out for Billy and Tim for being accessories to the murder. And obviously, a big fat warrant for John for being a murderer. But Billy turned himself in right after confessing everything because he did it over the phone. So he just kind of was like, I'm just going to fucking go and, you know, not prolong it. But by then, John was long gone. So a national manhunt uh, began in search for him as he was declared a federal fugitive. Lansing police officers turned officers in six states uh mexico and canada to help search for john back in michigan uh police officers searched john and tim's grandparent grandparents house where rose had been murdered for evidence uh all they found surprisingly was just one drop of blood in the bathroom uh but that alone was enough evidence for them to solidify billy's story Mm -hmm. so uh Oh my god, okay, so this is so this is a weird and random turn in the story. It just was like if murder and cannibalism isn't enough. Um, out of nowhere, on April twenty fourth, uh Lansing police officers arrested a man named Robert Michael Wood, who was accused of planning to firebomb Billy's house in an attempt to quote, get rid of witnesses or intimidate. So like now there's bombing happening. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, luckily, it was not a successful bombing. And also, I have no fucking idea who Robert Michael Wood is or where he came from or why he's trying. I mean, I guess I know why, but like, why is he why, why? though? Yeah. Like, what are you fucking doing, Michael? Robert, you're not, you're not Robert included. Michael. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Just you don't even go, go here. here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was arrested. And when police searched his house, they found bomb making materials and items to make a Molotov cocktail. Which is, yeah. you know, for those of you who don't know, it's like the glass bottle that's filled with gas with a rag sticking out of it. And when you light it, you throw it and it explodes upon impact. So, yeah, he pleaded guilty to attempted possession of a Molotov cocktail, being a felon in possession of a handgun and concealing stolen property and is now serving five years in prison. <laughs> it is just, I don't know. It's like... At, at what cost? Why? Right. And he just really inserted himself in the story. <laughs> he just wanted to be included. Yeah. So that's that's all I have about that guy. Uh, but I thought that was just such a weird twist. Bombs. Uh, okay. So, meanwhile, uh, police went back to the Browns' property in Meredith to inspect the site where Billy said they had burned Rose's body. All they found there were possible bone bone fragments that were super charred, um, but nothing really concrete. Um, Fast forward to August, police had tracked down Tim, and from the sounds of it, they were just kind of watching him, hoping that that he would lead them to John before they arrested him. Uh, and luckily, they were able to track him on a trip all the way from Battle Creek to Nuevo Laredo, Mexico. Oh. Yeah. Tim went down to Mexico to join John, where he was having just a grand old fucking time at a restaurant called La Nina, which is just out of the t- south of the Texas border. 
So, like, once Tim walked in and, like, joined up with John, the local police fucking moved in and arrested both of them. And they finally got him. They finally got everyone and, like, fucking did it. <laughs> got her Did done. it. So, um, Billy was convicted uh, for being an accessory to the murder, but he only served one year in prison. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it is, but I mean, I don't know. I guess they didn't have like cell phones to like call the police. Be like, my friend's eating this girl. <laughs> but like, I don't know. He he seemed like he was know. just kind of, I don't know. But he also stayed quiet for three years. Yeah, I think that would be the only reason why he should deserve more time. Is because he just didn't say anything for three years. Yeah, that's so fucked up. But it doesn't sound like he was really in with what John was doing. No, no. And, like, he was just kind of trying to protect himself. Yeah. So, I couldn't find anything about if Tim was convicted. All I found was that... Uh, his lawyer claimed that he wasn't an accessory to the murder because the boys just showed up at his doorstep after killing her and Tim knew nothing previously about them killing her, which kind of doesn't make sense because according to the article earlier, when they showed up at Tim's house, he asked what they did with Rose. So he had an idea. So I think he kind of fucking knew, but whatever. can be skeezy yeah that's how they are but yeah i I couldn't find um if tim had been convicted of being an accessory but john kehoe was convicted of rose Larner's murder in april of 1997 uh he's serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole at the thumb correctional facility in lapeer uh that's oh what nothing i'm not gonna triangulate us Don't do it. We're not from Lapeer. No, we're not. (laughs) So, so far he's had like five misconduct violations while in prison for like fighting, possession of dangerous contraband, and assault and battery. Not a good track record. Uh, Doesn't, it like sounded like he doesn't have a good chance of like ever having any possibility of a possibility of a possibility of anything. Good. Yeah. As he should. But according to a WWMT article posted on November 12th, 2020, and WWMT is like a Western Michigan news source, um, according to them, uh, what's today? The 19th? The 22nd. Today's the 22nd. So 10 days ago they posted this article. Uh, 14 days when you're listening to this. <laughs> Wait, 12 days. <laughs> Math is hard. Two days. <laughs> Math is hard. Um, yeah, so according to them, John told News Channel 3 that Billy Brown was the one who actually killed Rose, and John was the one who was an accessory. He said that Billy killed her because Billy was angry that Rose had rejected him when he tried to have sex with her several times on December 7th, which is the day that she died. But I don't know how credible that is. I like so like John has a a blog, like a blog spot, <laughs> a blog, pr- a prison blog. Yeah. <laughs> I, and like yeah, um I kind of like 
fumbled through it for a minute and like all of his posts kind of sound like bullshit but you know anybody will say anything to get out of jail i'm sure right um well, like why didn't he speak up sooner i think he tried to but they were just like no no fuck you so yeah billy still says that john was really the one who killed her and that he covered up the crime so that john wouldn't try to kill him too so john is pressing for a retrial currently and it's speculated that he might get one and if things go his way he could be getting out of jail big yikes hopefully not though watch your backs michigan yeah lansing there might be a murderer back in the streets so yeah that's the story of rose larner that's crazy yes dude really fucking sad and wild going on the topic of prison blogs have you ever been on oh you're not on tiktok never mind no like i refuse they have prison tiktoks what yeah like the prison there's like prisoners who have uh like phones in there how isn't that like they're not supposed to and they make tiktoks and they're just the funniest thing because they're so like secluded from society that they don't like know what's cool so they just like i feel like that's they just, so sad so goofy and like i don't know there's some people who are like yo i'm in here like i didn't do anything free my or whatever you know free my homie yeah that kind of stuff and it's like okay oh my god that's wild you'll have to show me some sometimes somebody there's one who does like prison recipes what (laughs) they're so insane i don't remember what any of them are that's hilarious they're they're crazy i can't wait to see all right take it away sister what do you got for me this week what do you got for all of us this week so i have it's a conspiracy it's a conspiracy okay (laughs) kind of you sound confident it's it's more of a mist like the situation is a mystery but there's like conspiracies that surround it so that's kind of where we're going i'm into it yeah yeah um lay it on us so before i do this i learned something today Hmm. when you are like sitting and just like chilling do you ever get like chills and you just like your whole back just like shakes and goes up yeah yeah you have like a a shiver yeah Uh uh-huh that's a, that's an anxiety thing. Really? I never knew that. Interesting. And I get them all the time. That makes sense. Yeah. Just thought I'd share that with you guys. Taylor's anyway. tidbit. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, do you remember the Malaysian Flight 370? I believe I recall a bit. So I like vividly, I mean, this wasn't that long ago. It was like six years ago, mm-hmm. but what? this is only oh, six years ago. I think, I think I'm thinking of something else, but I like vividly remember watching the news with my dad. Like, <gasps> have they found the plane yet? Blah, blah, blah. Right. I just kind of gave it away. But anyway, so <laughs> Malaysia flight 370 was a scheduled international passenger flight operated by Malaysia Airlines. It disappeared on March 8th of 2014 while flying from Kuala Lumpur International Airport to its planned destination, Beijing Capital International Airport. Okay. So it was going to China. Most of the passengers on the plane were Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a total of 227 passengers on that plane and 12 crew members. That's a lot. Yes. 
So the crew of the aircraft last communicated with the air traffic control around 38 minutes after takeoff when the Mm -hmm. flight was over the South China Sea. Okay. So the plane was lost from the air traffic control radar screens minutes after that last communication. But it was still able to be tracked by military radar for another hour. Okay. So it was deviating westward from its planned flight path, crossing the Malay Peninsula and Andaman Sea. I know this is, like, super confusing. There's a lot of landmarks. But <laughs> but like right. I said, it had 227 passengers and 12 crew members. And now they are all presumed dead. Um <gasps> The disappearance of the flight was the deadliest incident involving a Boeing 777, which is what the pl- like the type of plane it was. Wait, wait, wait. So uh, the plane disappeared, and they just immediately was like, everyone's dead. Pretty much. And I'll tell you why in a second. Okay. So, like I said, it was the deadliest incident involving that type of plane and the deadliest in Malaysia Airlines history. Um, until it was surpassed in both regards um, by Malaysia Flight 17, Mm -hmm. which was shot down while flying over conflict-stricken eastern Ukraine. Oh, no. Four months after that. So that was in July of 2014. Oh, man, that's really sad. Yeah. So the search for the missing plane, it, it was the most expensive in history. It was... Focused initially, like, in the South China Sea area and the Andaman Sea, because that was where the last communications were. Mm -hmm. So, before analysis of the craft's automated communications with an Inmarsat satellite indicated a possible crash site in the Indian Ocean. Okay. So, I know this is a lot. Just stay with me I'm painting a map in my mind. So, several pieces of marine debris confirmed to be from the aircraft washed ashore in the western Indian Ocean during 2015 and 2016, and that was after a, I'm sorry, after a three-year search across 120,000 kilometers, which is 46,000 miles of ocean. Of Um, ocean. Of ocean. That's got to be so hard to search. I know. How does that make any sense? I know. And they failed to locate the aircraft. The Joint Agency Coordination Center heading the operation suspended their activities in January of 2017. And then a second search launched in January of 2018 by private contractor Ocean Infinity, which also ended without success. So, plane went missing. They never found it. Right. They searched the ocean, didn't really find anything. They found some debris, but they weren't. 100% 100% where it came from. I'm so dumb. I was like, how do you search the ocean? I have fucking radars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it's at the so bottom stupid. of the if it's at the bottom of the ocean though, they might not be working. Oh, you mean the boats? The boats yeah. have radars. Yes. I'm so dumb. Gotcha. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So now we're going to get into the theories of what people think happened. Yes. And some of these are Aliens. insane. So Remember I told you that there was the other Malaysian flight that got shot down over Ukraine? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, one theory suggests that the plane was hidden away. So, the Malaysia airline was hidden away and reintroduced as flight MH17 in that same year 
so that it could be shot down over Ukraine for political purposes. Where would they have hidden it, though? Where? All right. There's, I'm ta- there's, I... there's a lot of theories that the plane was, like, hijacked and uh, all this stuff. So hidden away. there are some, like, theories that I'm going to tell you that are going to, like... I mean, like, they're conspiracies, so, like, yeah. it doesn't have to make sense. Yeah. So, the second theory is that there was a cockpit fire. Um, this theory comes from a pilot, Chris Goodfellow, who suggests a fire in the cockpit led the captain to turn to the west toward Palau Lenkwaki, um, which is a nearby airstrip. The loss of communication with the cockpit uh jibes with an electrical fire and the need for the crew to focus on flying the plane rather than radioing radioing in a distress call okay um so he thinks the pilots could have passed out or succumbed to the smoke inhalation Uh and meaning the plane was flying for hours until it ran out of fuel and then just and then just crashed yeah um most likely into the ocean right yeah, or maybe they don't. I mean, like if it was if, on if land, it was on land it, they probably know. Yeah, um, people said it's a great theory, except there's no solid evidence to support that. Yeah. So, but again, these are all theories because we don't know what happened. To I the mean, like, plane. how are you supposed to have evidence of that if it just fucking dipped into the ocean? Right. Anyway, so the next theory is Russian special ops took it. Whoa! <laughs> um, I said, so, I want that plane. It's mine. <laughs> so there's an article in New York Magazine that says that nefarious actors could have broken into the electronics and equipment bay on the on the plane and accessed through the first class cabin. So like f- like into the cockpit from the first class cabin. So like they flew a little plane up to this plane and they just like crawled into the cockpit and then they no. were like give me this <laughs> no like they were riding first class in the airplane oh. <laughs> <laughs> on one um <laughs> so said that a well-trained hijacker could theoretically have started pulling the plane's electronics apart and faked some of the satellite data that researchers have used to try to pinpoint the path of flight. So they basically just disabled the the electronics that, uh-huh, you know. Yeah. Pinpoint the path of flight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that one. <laughs> um so Da, 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 da. With that theory, Jeff Wise, no idea who he is. Sounds important. He claims smart. the plane must have gone north into Asia rather than south over the Indian Ocean and into, oh, good Lord, Kazakh- Kazakhstan, uh, mm-hmm. where there are runways and buildings large enough to hide the Boeing 77. 777. God, I can't talk. It is a well-researched piece, but doesn't prove anything. Okay. I can see it. I have my own conspiracy, and if you don't say it by the end, I'm going to... Okay. I do want you to tell me what your theory is. (laughs) So, the next theory is a faked flight plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So, 
I'm not sure who received this email, but it just says an email we received suggests that someone on board hijacked the plane and kept its location concealed by faking a flight plan from an uncontrolled airport. Hmm. Then the pilots could pretend to be a small business jet and proceed to some hidden airfield somewhere with no one the wiser. Except for the fact that it is not easy to hide a Boeing 777 and several hundred passengers and crew. Because it's a big bitch. Dude, that's a huge fucking plane. It's a big bitch. That's a big bitch. Okay, so the next theory. The U.S. military shot it down. Probably. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. We're assholes. Literally. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. The atoll of Diego Garcia, complete with the U.S. military base, is located in the middle of the Indian Ocean. One theory suggests that the plane was headed there on some sort of kamikaze mission and it was secretly shot down by the U.S. military. This giant-ass plane on some (laughs) secret mission. Are you fucking kidding me? Before it could reach its target, yes. I guess it's like hiding in plain sight, but... Yeah. Uh, The Americans would then have faked the satellite data and scooped up every last bit of debris to keep the fate of the plane and its passengers secret. I wouldn't put it past us. So, on the website that I got all these from, it said that this one is particularly unlikely since the cleanup of the airplane would have taken way too many people to keep things quiet. I mean, we've kept aliens quiet for all these years. We sure have. Anything is possible. So, next theory. It's in Pakistan. Okay. Rupert Murdoch hypothesized that the plane's disappearance was part of a jihadist plot to make trouble for China and that the flight could have landed in northern Pakistan like bin Laden whatever that means <laughs> I like making trouble I am reading this word for word it literally says and the flight could have landed in northern Pakistan like bin Laden whatever that means this is what the website said. And like Bin Laden is in quotations. That's so weird. Um, so. Uh, just to cause trouble. Just to, just to out cause an Iraqis. We're yeah. just going to take this plane. What are you going to do about it? Not a goddamn thing. We got Bin Laden. It's <laughs> <laughs> so strange. Uh, uh, so others have said the plane could be outfitted with explosives or even a nuclear weapon for future delivery. Uh, mm-hmm. As if a big, slow, less than agile passenger jet is the best tool for that. Yeah. I don't... That's a good choice. <laughs> okay. A solid A1. So are you ready for the best theory? Yes. Okay. Supernatural forces. Yes! Yes! <laughs> this, yeah! one, this one is from Reddit. I love Reddit. Um, so this one theorizes that the plane could have been snatched out of the sky by aliens or a wormhole Definitely. that sent it back in time, like <gasps> once occurred in an episode of The Twilight Zone. What? Or perhaps a black hole ate the plane. A black hole in the sky. And that was suggested by a CNN anchor. It's stupid that one is so so stupid okay 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 i'm gonna tell you my theory okay even if you're not done i'm done okay so my theory is 
I'm just gonna like intertwine our conspiracies that it that maybe maybe there was a fire in the cockpit and they were trying to get it under control and they passed out from smoke inhalation or something went awry and maybe maybe the pilots got into a fist bite and like knocked each other out or like maybe they were like having like having some sex i don't know so, something happened okay something my theory happened. is something happened with the pilots they stopped paying attention whether it was intentionally or unintentionally the f- the the plane flies itself it was going north right or was it going south doesn't matter I don't know. The plane flies itself north or south. <laughs> Whichever direction it was flying. Wherever it was going. And you know where it goes? It goes right into the hollow earth hole. <laughs> and now Hitler has it. <laughs> That's my conspiracy. And if that ain't dangerous, I don't know what is. Yeah. It's and like that, uh, did you watch The Incredibles? Yeah, hell yeah. You know where they like go under the under the island and then it like opens uh-huh. up. It's like one of those. Yeah, just a, a slid secret, right in there. A secret lab underground. That's what the Hollow Earth is. Yeah, yeah, and that's where the plane is. FBI, are you listening? <laughs> we have <laughs> theories. We have cracked the case. <laughs> It is aliens. <laughs> aliens inside of the earth and Hitler. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. I wonder what happened, though. Seriously. I don't know. I would... I don't know. I think it went down in the middle of the ocean, but I don't think it went where they think it went. Yeah. Because they were looking like... If you think about how much of the ocean is discovered as it is, isn't it like 3% or something like that? Yeah. Like some wildly tiny number. They're probably not going to find the plane soon. I think it's somewhere near Australia. Hopefully they do find it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That is really sad. It is sad. And it was, I don't know, it was super crazy. Like I was, I think I was a junior or, I was a junior in high school when that happened. And I remember just like sitting at my dad's just like watching it. I mean, I guess it was my house because I was living with my dad at that point. But, like, I would just, like, sit there and watch it. Because it was on the news every day for, like, months. Really? Yeah. Dude, I had just moved to Lansing in 2014. And I didn't give a shit about anything besides finding a job and smoking weed. Yeah. So. I drank a lot in high school. That was my thing. Dude, me too. I didn't smoke. I drank. I did both. I was a bad kid. (laughs) I was... I was a rebellious teen. I was. I was once I started going through shit. It do be happening, though. It do. Well, anyway, anyway. let's see. Let's see, Taylor. What What am I going to have you do next week? Uh, let me pull up the list. <laughs> Don't sue us. Next week, I'm going to have you. Oh, my God. Dude, I was so (gasps) sad when I heard that. (laughs) Oh, no. I feel so bad. (laughs) Rip, Alex. You're a real one. You were. were. (laughs) So unproblematic. You and Steve Harvey. Okay. We're going to switch it up. We're going to, like, we're going to take a left turn. And I'm going to have you do a haunting. 
Yes. Finally. Finally. Fucking paranormal. Yay. I'm so excited. Just what we've been waiting for. I have been waiting. Um, I'm going to keep you on the same track. We're we can't a- both pivot. Right. Can't. No. Um, and I'm going to have you do a cold case. Yes. I have an idea. Perhaps two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> My brain is working really hard. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, happy Thanksgiving, friends. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at CreepyWeegeePod. And then you can send us your stories and just say hi at CreepyWeegeePod at gmail.com. And I love it when you do that thing. <laughs> Email us. <laughs> Send us an email. Yeah. Please. We're desperate. No, I'm just kidding. We don't want your stories. No, we do. Yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Goodbye, everyone. Gobble, gobble. Eat some mashed taters. And green bean casserole. Yeah. Alicia, I'm talking to you. No. (laughs)